So today we're talking to LVH. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Great to have you here. And we're going to talk about, well, I think with you, we could talk about a lot of different topics. Um, but I guess we'll try to focus on security. So how about we start with some kind of like introduction? So who is LVH? Uh, sure. So given that this is a closure, uh, well, closure scripts podcast, uh, I think the, there's two hats that I wear that are mm -hmm. uh, important for the audience. So um, one is I'm the president uh, and one of the co-founders of the Closurists Together Foundation. Um, mm -hmm. So we do things like sponsor uh, closures development. Uh, we do things like also fund uh, uh, closures, the operational costs of it. Um, and uh, of course, open source sponsorship. Uh, so we uh, have uh, paid a lot of uh, projects to develop uh, uh, develop certain features. So we've, uh, um, for example, Ring, Calva, Reagents, uh, Cider, Fig Wheel, Fireplace, uh, Reframe, CLJ Condo. Yeah. Like I, I feel like I, you can't. I, I made the mistake right. of naming at least one project, and now I have to name all of them. Uh, if I forget right. your project, I'm sorry. It's not, not nothing personal. Uh, uh, I like all of them. Um, so you know, we 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 fund a lot of closure open source uh, development. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and closures, of course, so, as I mentioned, is the, uh, the other uh, big one. Uh, president is a very big, fancy sounding title. Uh, but really my, my, my specialty is just that I, I show up and I sign documents and, <laughs> uh, you know, like it's, uh, it's, it's nothing fancy. Like, uh, da Daniel Compton is the, uh, the real, uh, I don't say power behind the throne. Cause you know, he's obviously very, uh, publicly, uh, you know, a face of, uh, of closures together, but, uh, you know, Dan Daniel's a, a force of nature. And uh, Toby, mm -hmm. who you recently had on the uh, the podcast here as well, right. is, uh, is is uh, really running the show when it comes to closures. So uh, mm -hmm. uh, all credit goes to them. I, I just show up and I sign things. <laughs> and what's the second hat? Uh, yeah, so my that's the the closures together part, and then you know, of course, my my day job, you know, closures together doesn't pay me; it's a volunteer position. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, my day job is I'm one of the founders of. Uh, Latacora, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, we're a security consultancy. Uh, we're an alternative to your first security hire. So we work with startups. Uh, mm -hmm. Typically, instead of hiring like a first security person, they hire us. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, hence, of course, this podcast. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that's interesting there is like, I feel like a lot of security services are not aimed at startups. Like they're very, they're good, but mm -hmm. it's clear that they're kind of targeted at companies that are like, you know, 100, 200, 500,000, tens of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, they don't necessarily scale down particularly well. Uh, and we wanted to work with startups, which I think is is probably a lot of the audience is, is going to be able to identify with that. I'm guessing a lot of people uh, who are listening to this work at a startup. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we want to work with startups for the same reason. We're engineers, just, uh, uh, just like you. Uh, and so we wanted to build something that's specifically uh, for startups. And, and one of the problems that we ran into is like, you know, you look at these, these job descriptions for like a first security engineer, and it's, mm -hmm. it's basically impossible because if you think about it, you don't need a quote unquote security person. You need like an AppSec person on Monday like an iOS and Android security person on, um, on Tuesday, you need a cloud security person on Wednesday, you need like a compliance and IT person on, on Thursday. And so before you know it, like, you know, it'd be hard enough to get one person who's really good at one of those things because there's mm -hmm. not that many security people. Uh, and, you know, there's plenty of ginormous corporations who are happy to pay a lot of money for good security right. people. 
Uh, so it's, it's really hard for startups to, to uh, get any one of those people, let alone all of them. And so the mm -hmm. idea is that you work with us uh, and we're, you know, we're a consultancy, but we're like really embedded. Um, so, you know, we're on clients, GitHubs, we're in their slacks, we're, uh, you know, we're talking to customers on a regular, very regular basis. So like the mm -hmm. idea is that we're technically a consultancy, but we feel kind of like a security hire. I see. And this is specifically for closure startups or in general? We do have a, a couple of companies that use closure. Some of them are sort of like what I would call closure shops where like, you know, everything is closure. They might have like a little bit of bash somewhere in the corner, but you know, yeah. you know, almost everything is closure. Uh, and we've got like a couple of companies where uh, they've got like a little bit of, uh, of closure in the corner. Uh, occasionally we are the reason that they have a little bit of closure in the corner. Like we wrote a piece of software for them and now they have some closure. Um, uh, but it's, it's definitely for, um, for, for startups in, in general. Uh, and part of the reason for that is that, um, uh, you know, when, whenever I, I talk to, to people about security in a closure context, uh, a lot of the questions that they have are understandably about the application that they're developing, right? Like they're, they're thinking of the problem from a, a closure mindset and that's important, right? Like application security is important. Product security is important. Those are, are, are really important fields, mm -hmm. but you know, if you've got, let's say, an AWS environment, uh, you know, odds are that it's not necessarily because you have closure that your AWS environment has to look this particular way, right? Like mm. you might have, I guess, the atomic is, is, is maybe, uh, you know, I, I imagine that most um, the atomic users are also closure users, right? Like I know mm -hmm. you can technically use it from right. Apollo, but I'm guessing that's not the main way that it gets used. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but, you know, other than, than specific technologies like that, you know, it's, there's more, uh, there's plenty of, we, we've got customers who are like both, I don't know, Django users, right? And mm -hmm. their, their cloud environments could not be more different, right? Like one of them's running on GCP and the other one's running on AWS. And then we've got customers who like, oh, it's like one, one Django user and one Rails user, let's say. But their infrastructure, you go look at it from a cloud perspective and it's basically identical. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so therefore, you know, there's, there's all these other, uh, other fields. So, uh, no, we do, mm -hmm. uh, so that was a very simple question. I gave you a very complex right. and long-winded answer. Yeah, uh, yeah, this no, is going to happen not... a lot. Be, be prepared. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Uh, but, so, uh, go ahead. Yeah, no. So when you say you're embedded, so what, what does this mean? Like, so I, let's just imagine I have a startup and I hire your team. It's like, what, how do you help, uh, with security? Um, so we do an awful lot of stuff uh, and it depends on quite how big the company is because, you know, I said startup and th that's, that's a useful definition given that the rest of security is, seems to be, you know, mostly focused on, on larger companies. Um, mm -hmm. But startup can still mean a lot, right? Uh, we've got companies uh, that we've spoken to uh, and in some cases engaged with where it's like, you know, four people. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we've got uh, other companies where uh, they're, you know, uh, 200, 300, you know, a lot for, for a startup, a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so there, there's a big variance there. Um, but basically, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we do in the background. So we do mm -hmm. things like code review, right? Like you're writing a piece of code, you've got a, a PR up, right? Mm -hmm. And you'd want a security person to look at it because you're just not sure if this thing has a security impact or if it needs to be looked at or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you just do, most of our customers are on GitHub and I imagine most of the listeners are too. Um, and you just do like, you know, you add a reviewer on GitHub, you do like at, you know, uh, your company at uh, Yasek Sky slash uh, right. 
security and it like goes to us and we'll go find the right person. And if it's like, you know, it might be a cryptography problem and then it goes to me uh, or, you know, it might be like a AWS problem and then it goes to Patrick, who's one of our AWS folks, or it might be a, mm-hmm. you know, iOS security problem and it might go to, you know, uh, mm-hmm. NDG or someone else. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so uh, we do code review, uh, we do audits because uh, sometimes, you know, there are some things that you just don't see uh, in individual code reviews, either because, Sometimes it's like a feature, right? And you've been building towards it for like six months and it's a hundred pull requests or 200 pull requests. Um, and it's like on, in the edges, right? Each pull request in, individually might make sense, but mm-hmm. I don't know, the feature might look very different than how you started, right? Like that's how mm-hmm. code works. Um, and so we'll do like an audit when that makes sense. There are also some things where like, you know, SSO integration, which I think is something that we're probably going to talk about too, because um, someone, mm-hmm. uh, someone suggested that question um, where... I don't believe that you can audit uh, an SSO integration properly just by looking at it statically. Like it needs to, you need to actually deploy it. You need to look at it in, um, mm-hmm. you know, as deployed. So um, we usually use a tool called Burp um, or Burp Suite, um, mm-hmm. which uh, is it's basically a. Uh, if you can think of it a little bit of if you go into like Inspector in your browser, right? Or like, you know, Chrome Inspector or, um, right. or Firefox Inspector, and you look at like the Network tab. And it shows all the requests going back and forth. So Burp is kind of like that, except there's more of an emphasis on messing with the request. So, mm-hmm. you know, it makes a request and it's like, you know, it's got a query parameter, I equals one, and I'm going to put I equals two or like I equals single quote or whatever. Uh, and I'm going to use that to try and figure out um, whether or not the application behaves correctly, even in the face of a uh, malicious client. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, there's like a whole bunch of other stuff that we do. Like we'll take a look at um, all of your infrastructure. Uh, th- this is um, so that the application security uh, portion of what we do is less closure. There's some closure involved there, but it's less closure involved. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, all of the like cloud infrastructure, like data analysis, alerting, et cetera, all of that is very closure heavy. Um, so we'll do things like you know we'll uh, I don't know we've got very simple rules like, oh, new open S3 bucket, right? I don't need to know anything about your company to know that an open S3 bucket is interesting, right? So that's something that we just kind of do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we actually use Clojure to write really uh, sophisticated rules like there is a VPN concentrator. It should be in the security group. It should be the only thing in the security group. It should use mm-hmm. like an image coming from this vendor. Uh, you know, the security group should be configured like this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, I mentioned some alerting. So we do things like CloudTrail. Um, one of the things that bothers me about a lot of alerting, this is where um, uh, I, I don't love a lot of the services that are publicly available, is that they only talk about, like, the bad, catching the bad scenario. It's like they, they talk about, like, oh, we're going to look for things that are wrong, and then we're going to tell you about them. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's really important, right? Like, I'm not saying that you don't want to know when there is uh, bad people in your AWS environment. You do. But... It misses so much because one of the things, for example, that we use it for is we like aggregate the data over time and see if things are moving in the direction that we want. So like if people, we want people to be using, let's say temporary AWS credentials, right? And not just like an AWS access key that's like sitting in your your home directory unencrypted, right? And, Mm -hmm. but that's not going to happen overnight, right? Because your company's got processes and they've got developers and they got work to do, right? Like they got more important things to think about than that thing that I asked them to do. And so we'll we'll take a look, for example, at CloudTrail and like analyze that and make sure that like, well, are people using these um, uh, temporary credentials the way that we asked them nicely to? And if they're not, 
Um, uh, you know, who is it? Why are they doing that? Can we go help them? Because most of the time it's like, well, I'm using this tool and this tool wants me to like copy paste an access key. Like, it's not that I don't want to, like nobody wakes up in the morning and think, and thinks like, I'm going to do super dangerous things to my company. Like nobody thinks that way. Right. Right. It's either, you know, it's either, uh, that they just got other stuff to do or that the tools that you gave them aren't, you know, good enough. And so like, I, I think of a lot of like the service design for, for a lot of core is like an industrial design problem, right? Like how do you design an environment so that people are going to make better choices? Mm-hmm. Um, and so anyway, sorry, that was, was, I'll get off my soapbox. Um, cool. But, uh, and then we do like a lot of advisory and, and design work. So like somebody says like, Hey, I want to design feature X uh, and we'll go be in that room and make sure that, you know, if, if there was like a part of that, that sounds dangerous, then we might say like, Hey, if you get a credit, like you're hosting, I don't know, user generated content now, right? If you're hosting that on the same domain, that sounds like it's basically waiting for a cross-site scripting vulnerability to happen. How about mm-hmm. we put that on a separate domain, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll try and like walk walk people through. And our main goal there is just like make sure that you understand what you're signing up for. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, and and then finally we do like some compliance stuff. Like we got customers who are like in healthcare. We got customers who are in. Um, you know, uh, we got customers with banking licenses. If you had told me mm-hmm. five years, we've been in business for five years. If you had told me five years ago, you, you know, we're going to start a consultancy that works with startups. And by the way, one of them is going to be a bank and not like a neobank, an actual bank. Uh, right. Then um, then uh, I would have laughed you out of the room. But here we are. Uh, so like, you know, medical devices, like all sorts of fun stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of security people are like allergic to the compliance stuff. But mm-hmm. if you do it right, it could be really valuable. Uh, and also for a lot of customers, it's like, it's really important, right? Like if you're selling to, if you're selling to big corporations, like if you don't have a SOC 2, or if you're in Europe, it's usually ISO 27001, uh, but certainly in the US with SOC 2, they look at that and they go like, you don't even have a SOC 2. Like you're just, you know, what is amateur hour? Like they basically look at that and, and think that you're not a serious product. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's that's good. I'm not saying they're right. I'm saying that's how they think about it. Right. Um, so per- perceived notions about how the things should work, right? Exactly. Um, um, okay, so this is Latacora. And is there anything else to say about Latacora? Um, well, one thing, all of our, uh, uh, a lot of our staff are uh, very good at uh, writing closure, and it's, uh, it's mostly because of your training. So we use, oh. uh, we use uh, Learn Reagent uh, Pro and Learn Reframe Pro. Uh, oh, thank we have you. A, a dashboard that's <laughs> internal and we're gonna we're gonna make exposing it to customers at some point, but uh, and that's uh, you know those are a lot of the people that we hire are um, they're interested in programming, but yeah. they sometimes they come from like oh they're like a DevOps person right like they write mm-hmm. Terraform all day and they don't really think of themselves as software engineers, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, and this is the only reason I bring that up is because sometimes when I talk to people who are not in the closure community about closure mm-hmm. they're like but how do you find closure people? It must be mm. impossible to hire. And like, right. I don't know, you train them. Like, I, f- I feel like people can learn things when you, when you work with them. Like it, it's right. not, you know, uh, and we've, we've had some pretty good, don't get me wrong. We, we've hired a couple of people who are like stellar, super experienced closure engineers. I'm not mm-hmm. saying you could just like, you know, hire a bunch of people uh, and, you know, give them, uh, give them a book and, and, and hope for the best. Uh, right. but, uh, you know, th- definitely like teaching people closure has not been uh, a big deal for us. And we have, we, we've got junior, like we've got really senior people, but we also have very junior people, right? Like we've got people who, where this is their first 
tech job. Like mm-hmm. they've never even, you know, like we've got, you know, people that will really train up from, uh, not from nothing. Obviously they've got lots of life experiences, but they don't mm-hmm. have, you know, like they've never worked in tech. Cool. This is great to hear. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and then one, one more thing. I'm also like, uh, an investor. Uh, so we, um, I'm the general partner at Lagomorphic Capital, uh, okay. and we invest mostly in a lot of core customers, but not exclusively. Um, mm-hmm. Cause the idea there is well, twofold. So one, we had some existing customers who, um, when they like, first of all, our engagements ended up taking like way longer than we thought. So mm-hmm. we thought we were going to work when we started this company, we were like, Oh, you know, we're going to work with companies for like, I don't know, six months, a year, maybe. And we're going to yeah. like get their basic security stuff started. And, and then we're going to leave. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got like a customer who's been around for four and a half years. Uh, and mm-hmm. they're not clearly not at the beginning. They're like, we're not, they're not going to be gone. I, I expect them to still be a customer a year from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so some of them sort of thought, well, I kind of want you to have own part of the company, right? Because like all the other employees, like if, if you were a hire, right? If Latacora was really an employee and mm-hmm. not a consultancy, then yeah, of course you'd have equity, right? Like you'd have a lot of equity. Right. In fact, I'd be kind of weirded out if my security person was trying to get rid of all of their equity. Like that might right. be a warning sign. Right, um, right, right. So, um, and then, so that's, that's one reason why, why we started doing this. Uh, and then, uh, the second reason is because we want to work with, um, we want to be able to work with even smaller companies. Uh, cause like the, the thing that we built out, like it's, it's good and it works for small companies, but not the smallest companies. So we usually, you know, most of our clients right now are like 10 engineers or more because mm-hmm. we're going to produce work, right? Like there needs to be code to review and there needs to be someone who's actually going to implement all of this extra stuff. And if you're like, you know, if there's two people and you're just training out new product every day, then like maybe you're not that interested in, in security mm-hmm. uh, feedback, which I completely understand. Uh, and so we built a program that's like even further scale down where we can really work with like actual seed stage companies um, mm-hmm. and even companies who don't have the, the money yet for a security person. So the idea is like we're going to invest in the company and then you get, you know, you pay a lot of Quora for services. Uh, and mm-hmm. so you, you basically, you, you, you pay an equity. Like it's, it's not, you don't really pay an equity because it's, you know, it's two transactions, but the effect is that you pay an equity. I see. Cool. I think that's a very interesting business model uh, for doing this stuff. So, uh, so I think with this introduction, we know like that you can talk about security. So when we talk about security and closure, where do we start? Well, so it's it's a really interesting question. I've thought about a lot of these questions uh, a lot, and one of the the unfortunate answers that I came up with is sort of like it's complicated. Uh, and and every time I feel every time I answer, uh, it feels like I'm like dodging the question, and I'm not really answering. I'm going to try and be as concrete as possible wherever possible. Um, but a couple of thoughts. So. Um, Sometimes I've had people like, you know, like a closure conjure or something um, ask like, oh, but, you know, should I use this library or should I use this other library? And mm-hmm. I find that to be a really difficult question to answer because it's not that a library can't be good or bad, right? A library can be good or bad, right? Like I mentioned the industrial design earlier, like a lot that also applies to like APIs, Mm-hmm. how easy is it to do a safe thing and how easy is it to do an unsafe thing? Um, that's a, that's a real design constraint. 
But on the other hand, the, the problem that I have is that like, unless you're dealing with a very specific narrow issue, then asking what library should I use is almost like it's the wrong question, right? Because it, a couple of, like it can give a false sense of security mm-hmm. um, where, you know, if, if um, somebody says like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to do this uh, encryption thing and I, you know, I want to do some encryption and I'm going to use Buddy. Is Buddy good? I'm like, okay, well, Buddy is good. I'm not going to say Buddy is bad. But if you mess it up, then you might end up with a completely unsafe system that you built on top of Buddy. It's not Buddy's fault, mm-hmm. um, but it's of still course. entirely possible to do that. And then secondly, it feels like the scope is too narrow because every time that you make it about libraries, it almost feels like you're always talking about an application, right? Like you're talking about a backend, you're talking about like a reagent front-end app maybe, right? Mm-hmm. But as a security person, I would love to be known for the ninja alien space hacker wizard vulnerabilities, right? Like I would love mm. to be known for the stuff where like, you know, it looks like I'm in the matrix and, you know, uh, com- computers do things that they weren't supposed to. And look, sometimes bugs like that happen, but very often also like some of the most sort of dangerous things that we found at customers are where um, uh, what we call, what we call CorpSec, which is short for corporate security. So you can think like IT security. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like somebody, um, uh, I don't know, somebody, there's a Google group with, uh, uh, with free membership access where it, you can like, you can just subscribe yourself to the Google group. And then there's this other like admin dashboard panel that mm-hmm. uses membership in the Google group to determine whether or not you should have access to the admin panel. And so like, you know, you have these like two data points that independently sound fine and you put them together you're like, okay, that means that everyone has access to the admin panel though. Um, so, uh, and, and those are some, some sort of like the, the, the worst, the quote unquote worst vulnerabilities, even though they're, they're, you know, they're almost silly, right? Like I just explained it in, te- in, in what, 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some of these other vulnerabilities are, you know, like years of research coming together and like attacks getting slightly better and slightly better. And, oh, do we, do we need to be worried? Like, no, it's, don't worry about it. The back door was open, right? Like it's mm-hmm. sort of like not an, almost not an interesting vulnerability. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's still very serious. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, 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 of course. Um, so yeah, no silver bullet. Uh, if someone wants to design an application, of course, you need to think about all of this stuff. Um, so how do you think about this stuff? Like, what's the mindset? That's a really good question. So um, I can tell you how we do it. And mm-hmm. I mean, this feels weird because it's, uh, it's not supposed to be an advert, but, you know, obviously we designed the service because we thought it would be good, right? So mm-hmm. um uh, so uh, definitely one of the, um, the uh, I feel the places where we prevent the most issues, like the places that are uh, where we spend time and it's like obvious that that is the best way for us to spend time um, is in this, these like early design meetings, right? And I'm not saying that you have to like design the entire feature up front, but the difference between, you know, a, a conversation and somebody then immediately goes coding and, and you know, like I'm sure that everyone who's worked in, in tech for a while has had a scenario where, uh, you know, the two developers went off into the distance and like one was writing infrastructure and the other was uh, writing the front end code. And then when they met at the end, it turned out that they had a subtle misunderstanding about how the other person was going to do their job. Um, right. And so I feel like some of the, the best places for us to, uh, to engage is in those like early kind of design conversations. It doesn't have to be complicated, right? Like th- th- they're like a Google doc, like two, three pages. What are you going to do? Why are you doing it? 
Uh, and you know, then we start thinking about like, okay, would you, uh, what's called threat modeling, um, where we start thinking about what are the things that can go wrong here, right? Mm. Uh, and there are uh, there are some formal models for um, formal formal is a, uh, you can go as formal as you want. Um, there's like stride and dread, their acronyms uh, mm -hmm. uh, for for like trying to think of of what the things are um, that might go wrong here. But once you do like a couple of those exercises, you don't really need to, you know, you don't need to do it by the book. You can just like look at this and go like, okay, what could go wrong here, right? What are the things that an attacker might want to do? What are the things that, you know, we know that attackers are interested in? What are the things that customers are going to be unhappy about, uh, even if it's not necessarily really a problem? Um, so, uh, and, and just kind of like go through that design phase. Uh, and, and unfortunately, one thing that, um, uh, that, I don't have a, a very satisfying answer for there is that I haven't found any great substitutes for, for experience. The only mm. good news is it's not that hard to build a decent baseline of experience. Like there are good free resources out there that you can use to go, um, to go build up, um, you know, some, some understanding of what you need. Um, mm -hmm. But like uh, I feel for example, let's say server-side request forgery, right? And we can mm -hmm. go into uh, into because it's a little bit of a more obscure vulnerability, so I, I wouldn't expect everyone to necessarily know how it works. Mm -hmm. um, but it's one of those bugs where, like, once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like SQL injection, right? But SQL injection is a good example because more developers, I think, are going to be familiar with it. Like, if you see a SQL statement with, like, uh, e even a, a, a just a percent s like a, a string formatting um, mm -hmm. you know placeholder in it even if that's going into every time I see that I just like Ugh, right it doesn't even have to be like an actual SQL injection vulnerability right but like everyone sees that and once you know that that bug exists once somebody points it out to you you can never unsee it right mm -hmm. uh, and so server-side request forgery is another example but I bring it up because most developers know about SQLi most developers I think don't know about server-side request forgery um, and, uh, and so, but it's another example of one of those bugs where like, you can go learn this on your own. Um, you know, if a lot of core clients, we, we, you know, we, we've got like a presentation and we, you know, show them how the bug works and, and, and that, uh, all that, but, um, you can go learn those things reasonably on your own, uh, and build like a basic intuition, um, for, for application security, um, where, uh, where I think it's going to be a lot. Um, you're, you're going to have really good outcomes out of, out of those uh, threat modeling exercises. Mm -hmm. All right. So yeah, nothing beats experience, uh, that's for sure. But is there any, uh, I don't know, a default good standard where you develop an application and like you can start from there and then don't expose yourself too much to vulnerabilities? So I think that there's a couple of places definitely where... Um, where you can at least set yourself up for success, right? So I think that there's a few places where, um, uh, especially in Clojure, maybe, um, it, it's, it's very hard to mess up. So for example, um, mm -hmm. one of the things I really like about um, uh, Clojure Script is that it kind of feels like Reagent has basically won, right? I'm not saying that everyone is using, or, or at least React, maybe not necessarily right. Reagent specifically, but like, you know, Reframe, React, Rum, whatever, I don't care which one you mm -hmm. use, but basically everyone at some point is loading React, right? Um, mm -hmm. And React is awesome because React has basically made cross-site scripting vulnerabilities go away. And 
in the event where you still have cross-site scripting vulnerabilities, at least they're they're quote unquote obvious, right? So like if you've used React uh, with, especially with if you're integrating other libraries, you've got like this like jQuery, uh, you know, rich text editor or, or something, and you're trying to bring it into React, then sometimes you have to do uh, dangerously set inner HTML, right? right? Mm-hmm. The name yeah. of the method is dangerously set inner HTML. It's fantastic. It's perfect API design. I love it. Um, it's it's super easy to audit for. Uh, you know, it's super easy to see in the, in, in a in a PR. Like it's it's fantastic. Um, but fundamentally, cross site scripting vulnerabilities were always about um, not understanding the context in which you're operating. Right? A cross site scripting vulnerability happens when you're injecting a string that turns out to have some JavaScript in it in a context where you were only expecting HTML or we were only expecting like a text node in the context of HTML and you weren't. And so people talk about it like, oh, well, the correct answer is escaping. Like, mm, well, not necessarily, right? Because if you're, if you're dealing with like a traditional templating library, right, that is mostly doing string concatenation at the end, like high performance string concatenation, mm-hmm. then saying you need to escape is not good enough, right? Like, what are you escaping? It depends where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there are a couple of, there, there's one library, I, I generally don't love Go, uh, like Golang, um, mm-hmm. but credit where credit is due, there is one thing that Golang did extremely well. Uh, and that, that is, it's, oh, and there's a couple of things that Golang did extremely well, but one that I want to mention in this context is um, their HTML templating library. So it looks like strings. It looks like, you know, like a, a really simple string formatting, you know, it doesn't look that sophisticated. But then when you go look, look at the way that's implemented, it knows if you're, in, if you're injecting something in like an on-click attribute of an element versus the text part of an element versus, you know, a non-on something, like a non-JavaScript mm-hmm. attribute. Like it knows that and it like actually parses the template to figure out what the correct escaping rule is for that context, for the thing that you're trying to, to inject, which is super clever, right? Mm. Um, and, and that's a good way of, of still preventing cross-site scripting vulnerabilities, even though you get like the nice, you know, texts, textual template, which I, I get most people in Clojure land, you know, per, typically prefer Hiccup. But, you know, if you're working with external designers, they might prefer to write HTML, you know, yada, yada, yada. You know, let's, let's say that there's good reasons why you might have a string template. Um, mm. But that's a you know reagent React uh, has basically killed the cross-site script. I don't want to. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible. This, this is where the advice gets dangerous, right? I don't want to say, oh, you're using reagent. Congratulations, you're immune from cross-site scripting vulnerabilities. No, but you have to do something pretty obviously dangerous, including mm-hmm. dangerous is literally in the name. <laughs> so uh, you know that's right. that's one where I think we've got um, we've got really good success. And then Chrome is experimenting with. Um, uh, same site lax, um, which is uh, 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 basically for cross-site scripting um, vulnerabilities. The most common style of cross-site scripting vulnerability is evil.com makes a request to victim.com. Mm-hmm. And what most people don't realize is that um, that request will have, uh, I'm not going to talk about cores or anything. Like, we'll just talk about like very simple cross-site scripting, like, you know, in, in 2001 or something. Um, that request will actually have the cookies for victim.com attached to it. So if you're not confirming that everything that something is actually coming from a legitimate source and not from evil.com, a lot of ways that you can do that, but you know, CSERF tokens are the usual one, then um, then you get cross-site scripting vulnerabilities, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or sorry, um, uh, server-side request, uh, client-side requests. 
vulner- uh, forgery, uh, CSERF vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and if um, with same site lacks, um, basically what happens is the cookies only get sent if it's on the same site where, and the lax just means that it's not checking quite as precisely as it would otherwise, but that's, that's a detail that's probably not important right now. Um, so that, you know, more or less uh, got rid of, of CSER vulnerabilities. They have to walk it back a little bit because it turns out lots of legitimate sites use that feature as well. So they're relying on, uh, on it to work that way, which is one of the tragedies of browsers is that you look at like a lot of, um, uh, a lot of uh, mitigations that are implemented in browsers and one of the challenges is like, it has to work exactly the way that Netscape worked in 1980, uh, you know, in 1998, right. because otherwise the entire web breaks. Uh, right. So, uh, or not the entire web, but a lot breaks. So, um, yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So uh, front end, if you're using then, I just generalize, if you're using React, you're a pretty good starting place. Uh, of course, you cannot do some silly things. How about the backend part of things. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating on the platform you're listening to, sharing with others, and supporting directly by buying some video courses and learning ClojureScript and Clojure. You can check out the courses at jacekshe.com. That is J-A-C-K-S-C-H-A-E.com. Thanks.